0: Previously on No Man's Land.
1: Everybody that we've heard about that was potentially possessed is dead. Yeah,
0: yeah. Ex- suicide
1: usually, but some by murder. So mm. imagine if we could find somebody who was still alive like that. Yeah, you're that would right. Be fucking crazy. That would be the, one of the holy grails of this project. <laughs> yeah, That's you're right. Crazy.
0: Yeah. Isn't it crazy? It's
1: insane. Crazy. You guys are blowing my freaking mind.
0: Kristen and will have mentioned some specific encounters with this guy, Willie Claus. Yeah. I'm wondering if you ever had any experiences.
2: Yeah, he was it, that so that guy oh my god I just I haven't I haven't thought about this guy in years. I don't know what was wrong with
3: him. I'm like not a psychologist, but he definitely seemed like he was experiencing something that wasn't in whatever reality I live in.
4: Honestly, I steered clear of the woods after that. And I was just like, I'm not taking my chances up here with this guy.
2: It was just so disturbing to watch. Like, that was really rough to watch. I don't, like, I do not know what the deal was. I do not know how it happened. I do not know, but I don't know, I
5: don't know. He just took his finger and snapped it and started laughing while they were talking.
6: Wow, I never heard that part of the story. (laughs) that's weird. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm looking forward to hearing this podcast now, dang.
0: Live from Highland Park, New Jersey, this is No Man's Land, an original podcast from WVHP Media. Episode 8, Willie Claus.
7: Hi, I'm Will Schwartz. And I'm
5: Mark Ramreka.
7: And you are listening to No Man's Land, an in-depth investigation into a mysterious section of woods in central New Jersey of the same name. Last episode, Will Rogers and Kristen Anderson, the brother and sister host of the podcast Guides the Unknown, presented us with a fascinating theory.
5: They believe a series of murders committed up in the Berkshire Mountains in the late 1970s bear a striking similarity to three unsolved murders and disappearances that took place in No Man's Land in the 80s and 90s.
7: The key to all these cases may be a mysterious figure known as Willie Claus, a homeless drifter who is often seen lurking in the woods around the Forest Glen apartment complex, which is built along the eastern border of no man's land.
5: According to Will and Kristen, Willie Claus was arrested sometime in 2017 or 18 for hunting in the woods with a crossbow and may still be institutionalized somewhere in New Jersey's extensive mental health or correction system.
7: Is Willie Claus responsible for killing at least two young Rutgers students in no man's land? And is it possible that his real name is William Halliday, who murdered his own family and several hitchhikers decades ago in the Berkshires? That's what we need to find out.
5: But before we go any further, let's bring in local documentarian John Hume to discuss the best ways to track Willie down.
1: Hey, guys. uh, Let me apologize in advance for the tinny sound of my voice and for Mark's voice especially. Um, We hate doing this on Zoom and not being in the same room, but safety first. And before we get to hunting down Willie Claus, I just have one thing that I want to address with you guys. I've told you guys, and Will you in particular, about how people who've listened to episode six, which really detailed what happened during your brief hospitalization, um, how people are concerned for your well-being. So can you just give us an update on how you've been feeling, especially in the wake of all that?
7: It's nice to hear that people are concerned and thinking about me, but I, I will say that I'm feeling much better. No more incidents or anything have occurred, but it is nice to hear that people are thinking about me.
1: And no sort of moments like late at night of like worrying about your own thought processes or voices in your head or any of that kind of stuff? Not yet. <laughs> Can you hold up your hands and prove to me that uh, they're, they're, they're okay? Okay, Okay. no broken fingers in there. So as far as I can tell, there are three, you know, legit pathways that we really need to follow, all of which have their own challenges. The most obvious pathway is is to track Willie down in the New Jersey mental health system, right? But that is probably the hardest pathway to follow, mostly due to a, a law called the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, or HIPAA. It's a federal law that requires these kind of institutions to protect sensitive patient health information from being disclosed without the patient's consent or knowledge. Judging from everything we've heard about Willie Claus, I'm not even sure he's considered competent enough to give that kind of consent. That's assuming he's even still alive. We're going to try, but I think we're much more likely to find some success if we can get in touch with the police officers that arrested Willie. Well, the only problem there is that one of them, who's actually a good friend of mine, has steadfastly refused to take part in this project. And the second officer, a guy named Zach Hanner, actually quit the force a couple of years ago, but has disappeared down south. So in hopes of finding Zach, we reached out to our old reliable source, our only reliable source in the Highland Park Police Department, retired officer Michael Jarmis, who you've heard on a number of episodes and who I think continues to talk to us about this because he's still a little bit haunted about some of the unsolved cases in No Man's Land that took place on his watch. So Mark gave him a call.
3: This call is now being recorded.
5: Ooh,
8: he just got a warning.
5: Yeah, it's a a pretty cool feature. So you've heard the name Willy Kwan before? Oh
8: yeah. Mm hmm
5: What can you tell me about him?
8: Uh, Let's see, Uh, mentally unstable. Drifter, mangled hands, and uh, hence his nickname. Kind of really sketchy, borderline, schizophrenic guy, lived in homemade shanties in no man's land, and and that's why he became a suspect in the two murders. Uh, The two uh, Rutgers University students murdered near Forest Glen. I do recall that Willie was cleared of the crime, now that I think about it, because... Uh, He was deemed to have been mentally incapable, and there was no physical evidence to link him to it. Uh, Beyond that, I don't know really what happened to Willie, except that I have a vague recollection that he was arrested a few years back for uh, hunting in the woods or something like that. It was officers and Hanner that arrested him. he, He was hunting deer with a crossbow, that's what it was.
5: Right, that's what we that's what we did here. And um,
8: what did they have to say about that? Dave?
5: We reached out to first, but he understandably hasn't really wanted to talk about it too much. Yeah, mm-hmm. we haven't been able to come up with some contact information for uh, Officer Hanner. Would you happen to have any?
8: Well, Zach quit the force a few years ago, as I recall. He's living in one of the Carolinas. I don't have a phone number, but I may have his email address.
1: Were you nervous sending that email to Zach?
8: I I was pretty nervous.
5: Um, I knew a lot hinged on this interview because Willie Claus seemed like our most promising lead and Zach Hanner seemed like the best person to give us information on Willie Claus. As we've seen in the past, one wrong move can really derail the investigation. So we wanted to make sure that everything here was pristine so that we could get him down for an interview and then get what we needed from the interview.
1: So while we waited for Officer Hanner to get back to us or to not get back to us, we pursued, you know, at least trying to get to know who Willie Claus was and is. Kristen from Guide to the Unknown reached out to a whole bunch of her neighbors from Forest Glen, you know, people that lived on the same courtyard and undoubtedly saw Willie and, and asked any of them if they'd be willing to talk to us. And three of them said yes. So for those interviews, we brought in our new producer and field reporter, Sophia Salamando. Sophia is a former A student of mine who was actually Mark's partner in one of my classes, and that's where we kind of tricked her into joining the team.
0: Okay, so first I spoke to Amanda, who was living at Forest Glen at the time because she was working over at Rutgers. And she did share with me that she's had some nightmares, actually, about her experience with Willie. And she pretty much said that I stirred up some some bad memories for her. He was creepy.
3: He was super weird. and I don't miss living there because of that. Where I lived, the courtyard kind of faced a bunch of trees and it was nice to just be able to kind of like look out your window and see greenery sometimes. But there's something about being in a somewhat isolated area that's really great and also really scary and i think that like that the energy of that place it always felt a little off and the woods definitely like they seemed to have an energy of their own and and i kind of respected that if that makes you know i was like i don't need to i don't need to find whatever's in there (laughs) i definitely know that there was a grad student that was murdered near the apartment complex-ish. And that always freaked me out because I'm a runner and I like to go running. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I was always, like, really careful when I would go out because that's, like, how women die, right? Yeah. But, like, I would always think about that when I'd go out. I think his name was Willie. And he definitely hung around the apartments and that, like, kind of, like, put a damper on... (laughs) i felt about the place for sure because i just didn't feel safe all the time you know like it's like you never knew if, if if you were gonna run into him or if you were gonna like look out your window and like see him like i i heard rumors from neighbors that like he lived out in the woods in like a fucking tent and hunted deer and shit. if that's true i never saw that happen i never saw like his hut if he had one but he was drawn back to that spot, right? Like, the way that people are, he would always come back. He looked weathered. Like, you know when people, like, just, like, look old? Like, because they are they live outside, and I don't know, when's the last time they've had, like, nutrients? Probably, I mean, he just looked like he lived on the street for a long time. The thing that was really disturbing about him um, was, like, he had these really like fucked up
4: hands. It definitely was a, kind of a creepier place to, to live. Um, but you know, sometimes in the in the moment when you're living there, you don't really you just kind of brush it off. You don't really think about it. That, but but then when somebody somebody emails you and says, "Hey, did you have any creepy experiences there while you were living while you were living there?" And I go, "Oh yeah, I think I did." I think I did. Jerry is
0: a professional musician who was living at Forest Glen at the time. Not only did he have some stories to tell about Willie, but he and his wife had this really strange experience late one night on Cedar Lane that reminded me a lot of one of the key ghost stories that we'd heard about the area.
4: One time we were coming home from a gig i played it was like 2 30 in the morning maybe 3 in the morning we see this girl walking but she's like kind of bobbing and weaving and my wife goes hey maybe we should see if she's all right so i pull over i roll down the window i'm like hey you all right she's like no i'm fine she doesn't look fine though like she's completely disheveled and could be drunk could have been just a victim of a crime i don't know so i say again you know you all right?" she's like yeah i'm, I'm fine i told you I'm like, okay you know sorry I roll up the window, I keep driving, I make a left in the Forest Clan, and my wife's like, we really can't leave her. So I'm like, fine. And I just bang a quick Yui, and I come right out where she should be right there. She should be just crossing. Mm. Completely gone. Like, and I remember thinking, like, that is really, like, where would she go? She had just vanished. (laughs) I remember... I told a a neighbor the next day. He's like, did you know that this girl was killed? Some Rutgers student. She was strangled or something, like walking home from a party. And then like, she haunts the stretch of road between River Road, and I don't, I don't pay attention to shit like that, but it was weird.
0: We've heard of this guy um, from other neighbors and Kristen. They referred to him as Willie
4: Claus. He did dumpster dive around, and his hands were like completely broken. So like, he would kind of like he'd yell, kind of using his hands, and he, and he get his he'd get his trash, and he just like almost like, could like barely hold it. He talked to himself, almost like arguing, you know, with a like he's talking to somebody who isn't there. You no, know? like, no, you did. No, get away. Just kind of you know, nonsense. Uh, you know, not something that he'd like really pay much mind to but you know you just steer steer clear of them. he would be
3: like out by the dumpster and would be screaming to himself there was one time that he was like hitting his hands against the metal of the dumpster like really hard and i didn't know if it was because they hurt or if, if like he was like break it it sounded like he was breaking them that's what i thought was happening I kind of feel bad that I didn't call the cops when I saw that because he looked like he was in a lot of pain. Um, But I was just mostly scared
0: of him, if I'm honest, you know?
4: And then one day I was walking in the woods. I was hiking between, I think the Orange Trail, it's called maybe. I was just walking around, you know? And I see him pounding nails into a tree with a rock. You know, with a rock pound him into the tree. So I'm just like, I keep I keep walking. He catches my eye and he just immediately puts his hand right through one of the nails. Like, I mean through like not the sharp end, like the end that's already in the tree. Right? And he just goes and I flat out hightailed it out of there. This nail so.
0: went through his hand?
4: The nail went completely through his hand, yeah, yeah. He kind of looked at me and almost laughed i mean he was clearly in pain but he was like (laughs) happy about it and i just split man i just kept i just kept on my way
0: well it's interesting that you mentioned these nails because kristen you know was telling us that there was a tree behind her apartment that had a bunch of nails in it like a row of iron nails going all
3: around the tree just in one spot a band made of iron nails sticking out super weird outside my window yeah
5: so we've like looked up like iron nails right right, sometimes they're meant to be like protection you know yeah in magical
3: practices iron and specifically iron nails protective items some people keep iron nails on them as like little amulets and stuff now is that what somebody
5: was doing or i almost think that like somehow this was somebody who's like taking out aggression you know or god
0: I... i don't think you've ever posited
4: that before And when I did talk to Kristen, she reminded me that he was caught looking in her window. I was like, oh yeah, that's the guy I always see looking in the dumpsters. I mean, that that's weird.
2: I will say like, as much as I tried to have compassion for him from that moment, I was like, no, I also like, that's like a very dangerous invasive thing. Um, and so, yeah, I was scared after that point for sure.
0: So the last person I spoke to was Shauna, who was a teacher at the time she was living at Forest Glen, and she shared some stories that basically confirmed and aligned with everything we had heard from Amanda, from Jerry, from Guide to the Unknown, and specifically about Willie.
2: I think the whole vibe you kind of got off of him was sad. It just, he looked bedraggled. Just like crazy hair and like kind of funky teeth and definitely funky smell um, and that's and it's not like we're getting close to the guy like it's uh it was like we'd be walking and you know he'd be sort of in the same space or something like that but you could smell him sometimes before you know you actually like realize um he was there so he was just kind of like part of the ecosystem um if that makes any sense he just like you know every once in a while he'd be kind of like around and it wasn't you know it wasn't anything like threatening or dangerous but it, it was just strange he was a really strange guy and you you felt bad for him, but you also wanted to keep your distance. There was a time my uh, my ex and I just kind of went by like this little playground area, and he was by the swings. He had a swing and he was like pushing the swing. Like there's nobody on it. He was just like standing there by himself, pushing the swing back and forth. And he was sad. Like he was upset while this was going on. It felt like a private moment right then, and like I felt like we were interrupting it. and he he was emotional. he was definitely emotional. Um, and then these women um, came with strollers, actually. I think they came with like kids and strollers behind us. and he heard them and he just took off. Um, but I, I like just sad, like the whole thing just struck me as so sad. I do not know what his deal was. Who knows if there were kids? Who knows if there was something sentimental? It was more like a, a sentimental vibe. So that wouldn't have surprised me if, if he genuinely did think somebody was there.
0: In that moment, you said you
2: you felt bad. Like, did you ever feel like you were scared? I So the talking out loud to himself, um, that, that, put me off a little bit. That definitely put me off. The peeping in the window thing, yeah, that straight up scared me, I'm not gonna lie. Because that that was a different level. Like if, if he was sort of all consumed sort of in whatever's going on in his own head, I felt a little more insulated from that, I guess. But the sort of direct confrontation of, of that action, you know what I mean? Like that's not a harmless act.
0: Amanda was one of the first people to call the police on Willie because she saw him peeping in Kristen's window. Like, I know that I at least saw him one time
3: before I called the cops, because, but I, like, didn't really think, you know, that was before, like, before the screaming. There was a time where it seemed like he was pretty harmless, and then there was, it felt like things kind of escalated and that he kind of got a little more agitated or violent. That's when I was like, well, I have to go, you know what I mean? Like, I felt like she was in danger and that was the part where, you know, I couldn't really ignore him anymore.
0: This feeling as a woman of, like someone is watching
2: you, how how real was that for you? Did you think it could have happened? I think this is why this bothered me so much is because um, it had happened to me in a previous apartment where I lived. I was like, oh my, you've gotta be kidding me. Like how does this happen? You know, it's like bad enough that it sort of happened like once a long time ago. And then to kind of like to find it happening, you know, like right next door again too. So um, yeah, no question. I felt very vulnerable in a, all over again and that kind of thing.
3: After I called the cops on him, He like wasn't around for a while. And then (laughs) I didn't remember this until you like reached out to me, but there was a time that I saw him outside of the apartment complex, which was a little scary for me. I don't know if you know the Court Tavern. It's like a bar in New Brunswick. I was there with like a few friends and um, one of the bartenders, was talking to a guy and I like thought I recognized him and I wasn't really sure because like he looked like clean but I mean he had the same hands and I really think I think it was the same guy and um I remember that he made eye contact with me (laughs) which is like, you know when you make eye contact with somebody and you're like, you really don't, you like don't want them to see you. Uh, But it wasn't, on it was like not on purpose. And I just like accidentally made eye contact with him. And uh, then he smiled at me and was missing his teeth. And I was like, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it was him and he like, Definitely, uh, I don't know. He definitely, like, I don't know. He gave me, like, this feeling that, um, like, he knew who I was and that he knew that I had called the cops on him. I definitely looked away and just, like, pretended I didn't see him and walked into the crowd so that he couldn't see me anymore. And then like he was eventually gone and I didn't see him maybe even at all. But it it did freak me out. You know, when somebody look, like looks at you and they like know you, it was, I, I freak I was like so scared.
0: You know, like made me wonder what else he knows. If it makes you feel any better, we have confirmed that he was arrested for something like you said, hunting deer in the woods with a crossbow. Yeah, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't know if that makes me feel any better.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Like, I I hope that if you find him and he's not dead, that he's in a mental hospital. For him, for Willie.
5: I can't hear you. Okay, hold on one second. Okay, I can now. You got it? All right. good now. Excellent. So can you start by saying
6: your name, where you live, and what you currently do? My name is Zach Hanner. Uh, I live in Wilmington, North Carolina, and hopefully in the next month, I'll be taking my test for the real estate license and then uh, start working in real estate. Did
5: you always know that you wanted to be a police officer?
6: You know, my, my great-grandfather was the sheriff of Forsyth County outside of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So, you know, it was kind of a thing in my family. And so when the opportunity came up, I figured I'd, I'd give it a shot. And, you know, like I said, I, I liked it okay. There were parts of it that were more challenging than others, but uh, I can't say
5: that I miss it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what did you write to him to kind of convince? Because I remember we worked it back and forth a little bit, but remind me what you said to him.
5: I think what sold him is that I told him that we've, Worked with Officer Jarmus, and we're not doing anything foolish or stupid that would put ourselves or anyone in danger. And I think I really piqued his interest with the Willie Qualls case because he was the arresting officer on the scene. And as you'll hear, he said it was a really weird case. Did you know anything about Willie before
6: you arrested him that day? I had heard his name before. We ran ran him out of the from underneath the bridge a few times and yeah i mean i don't know that he ever gotten arrested for any kind of assault or anything like that uh it was usually just vagrancy or uh, i know he had peeked in windows uh, around that apartment complex and then he had stared at kids now again i don't know that there's ever any acting on any of that but he would come in by the apartment complex right there and you know scavenge around in the trash and stuff i mean he'd be kind of not threatening, but just kind of like weird and creepy. And so then we got word that he had been out there, you know, hunting animals with this crossbow thing within 20, 30 feet of other people. And so they did not feel safe. So we went over there, check out the complex and things. And they were like, well, we saw him heading this way. So we kind of followed them out there on this trail. It was maybe eight minutes away from where they were. And uh, that's when we found him at the camp. He's talking about the creepy vibe, man. We got there and it, there was like an old couch and how the hell it got dragged all the way out to where it was, I don't know. He had like a tarp over it, strung over a tree and uh, he's just sitting there by fire, doesn't even acknowledge us. He's just kind of staring off into space. There's the crossbow. It was like a two by four that he had hacked away at with like this K bar, you know, army knife all kinds of bones and fur and stuff that he he, you know from skinning whatever he was killing out there and i'm guessing it's like squirrels look, you know some there were some bigger bones that look like you know deer bones uh and so we're trying to talk to him and he's just not responding and oh god dude he smells so bad i don't know how long he, he had been out there or how long he'd been living like that Kind of recognize him, you know, missing a tooth in the front and long scraggly hair. And so, anyway, we get him up and we go to cuff him. And then I see like how fucked up, excuse me, how messed up his hands were. That's all right. That's all right. It looked like something you see on a special effects thing in a movie or something. They're pointing different directions and just horribly. It looked like he had been like tortured or something. So we put him in the back of the car, and then the next thing I know, he just went into this other. Have you ever seen like a you know, multiple personality stuff? You know, like uh, Tara. Yeah. So so he just went from from this kind of howling, laughing, but like in pain. Then it switched again, and it was like a little child saying, you know, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. And I was like, what wasn't you? and he, he wouldn't say anything else. This happened for about two minutes. And then you kept hearing this like popping sound and I was like, what's going on? We've I mean, it sounds like he's grabbing his fingers and breaking them. And then I'm thinking, well, maybe that's what he's been doing all along. It's some kind of weird nervous tick or whatever. But man, I'm telling you from where he was sitting, I don't know how he could have done what was happening there. Saw a lot of stuff in 10 years, bad accidents and uh, pulling people that had, you know, died at home out of houses that had been there for a week and stuff. But that was the damnest thing I, I've seen in those 10 years because from the way we had him in the car, I don't see any way that he could have got one hand over to the other and done that to himself. It looked like, like I said, someone was hitting him with a hammer or something. I don't know. I don't know.
5: what happened once he was brought into custody like how did he behave you know
6: he, he cycled out of that catatonic state and into that kind of like crazy laughter which again you know guys got some crazy mental illness going on but the laughter was almost like uh painful like i can't react to this level of pain any other way than laughing because i i've already screamed and cried too much you know what i mean i've already exhausted all my other emotions here so
5: this is this is the only way i can express myself what charges were brought against him and how did it proceed from there uh public disturbance
6: uh brandishing a weapon uh vagrancy uh and also uh hunting without a license brought him in, Detective had mentioned that that was a guy that he had suspected in the disappearance of that first woman. Her last name was Mercado. I want to say she was uh, Filipino and had been at a bar and uh, had left with some guy and then just like disappeared. She never showed up. And I was like, well, why would you think this guy would be the suspect? And he said, well, I talked to people that were at that bar where she was. She met some guy named Bill or Will, and they left together. And, you know, they said he was scraggly-haired, blonde, missing a tooth. And I was just like, Man, how is this guy going to get a girl <laughs> a girl to leave the <laughs> bar with him? Now, granted, this was 30 years before. So who knows? But uh, said that he has a suspicion that Willie might have been person that that had been responsible for her disappearance and uh, because you know he was there were a lot of things that lined up in there but he didn't have any kind of solid evidence so it wasn't something that was pursued I think they brought him in and questioned him and he had some sort of alibi but uh I thought that was interesting because when we brought him in you know he took me aside and told me that and I was like come on man you know that's this guy's he's just a pitiful wreck i don't think he's a murderer and then we had him in custody for i think about 48 hours before we determined that we would turn him over to the state police and they were going to take him to uh to trent to the uh, uh the psych ward there so that's the last i heard of him
5: so um we've actually tried to reach out to about this experience with arresting Willie claus and he's been pretty unwilling to speak with us on the record about it. Do you know why that might be?
6: I would say that both of us were disturbed by that collar. We were both kind of dumbfounded. We, uh, after it was over with, you know, we, it was one of those things where you walk away from it and you kind of did the heebie-jeebies, you know what I mean? There's some documented stuff that that happened out there in terms of violent crime if you ever out there you know it does have a vibe you can see how people could be out there you know again around a bonfire drinking and coming up with ideas and stories about what things happened out there or why they happened but you know i think personally the world can just be a random and violent place i don't subscribe any supernatural ideas about it I think just people are people are messed up and do messed up things you see a lot of it in law enforcement for sure.
5: If you don't buy into any of the legends or lore of No Man's Land what do you think can explain all the all the weird stuff?
6: I think it's easy to take something especially someone like Willie who A looks unusual uh, B behaves unusually I think it's easy to want to Paint them with a possessed by the devil brush. <laughs> you know what I mean. And certainly, I can't explain what happened that that day. Uh, I have no earthly idea how we took them out of that car, and his it hands were injured further than they were when we got them.
5: Uh, if you're interested about the the fingers, that's actually been an element that's present in a lot of cases that we've uncovered so far. Really. Yeah, like um those three teenagers who committed suicide under the bridge. Um right. one of the one of the guys who they who the cops tried to say did it, like killed the other two. We have a witness saying that they were out in the woods in no man's land playing with a Ouija board and uh, a week later is when the incident under the bridge happened. But in the week in between he turned into a totally different guy and one time when they were talking in conversation he just took his finger and snapped it and started laughing while they were talking
6: wow, wow i never heard that part of the story
5: <laughs> actually it has happened in a couple more cases and that's what really really freaked me out
6: oh good that's ooh, that's weird <laughs> uh, well i'm looking forward to hearing this podcast now dang
5: and the last he ever heard of him was he got sent away to the psych ward in Trenton.
1: Ooh, well that's good to know.
5: And what he told me is that he has a buddy who's still in the Trenton PD, like in the state police over there. Nice. And he's gonna give him a call and see if he knows anything about it, and he's gonna drop me Dude, that's alarm. huge. That that's, is huge.
1: That's huge. Is he gonna reach out to you if he gets any info?
5: yeah he is he, he's interested in hearing the rest of the podcast so i'm gonna send that to him oh you
1: gotta send it to him
5: he said he didn't really believe in all the supernatural stuff and he thinks that like all the violent crime and whatnot is just human nature and i guess like from a cop's perspective i could see that but then i brought up the point of the broken fingers and the other cases we've observed and that's when he's like wait what
1: <laughs> yeah that's always a good one to have in your back pocket
0: And if you have any other questions, you can always reach out and ask me. Um, if I can answer them, I will. Thank you so much for taking the time, and it was really nice to get to know you too. And I also hope that I didn't scare you too much reliving it all. Yeah,
3: I would say that like, um, it's okay. I think I think it's like like I I, um, I think it's great that you guys are trying to get to the bottom of this, whatever it might be. But I I do think it's good to be careful.
7: So just be careful.
0: On the next episode of No Man's Land.
8: Hi, Sean. This is Phyllis. Um, I have good news. I made some calls about Willie and um, I found his caseworker. So um, if you can get in touch with me, we can follow up and um, continue and try to connect with Willie. Okay? Thanks a lot. Bye, John.
7: No Man's Land is produced by Will Schwartz, Mark Ramreca, Sophia Solomondo, and John Hume. Sound design and mix by Carmen Borgia. Original music by Kevin Wiggins. Our theme song is Inventions by Maserati. Special thanks to Michael Jarmis, Amanda Bullis, Jerry Rosenthal, Shauna Lagon, and Zach Hanner. Our featured song is Good Run by the Jerry Rosenthal Trio. Let's
4: back up the boxes and break down the bed. I know we didn't fix the doorknob. Let the next guy deal with it. Our voices will let go like all those years before. I'll tell you i love you and we'll walk out the door regrets yeah maybe some but we had a good run how are we gonna pack up all of this stuff no one but the two of us knows just how much our love